0: W B N E. Hello from Elsewhere. I'm Casey.
1: And I'm Valerie. And welcome to the podcast where we explore characters, themes, and symbolism in pop culture.
0: This episode comes to you straight from the mind of a German boy during World War II.
1: Because today we're discussing the theme of imagination in 2019's Jojo Rabbit.
0: Hi Valerie. How's it going? Uh, it's great. It's going great. How are you? I'm
1: a little nervous.
0: You're nervous for today
1: this episode.
0: Why are you nervous?
1: I just know it's gonna be a little heavy, which is fine. Things have to uh, things do get heavy sometimes. I just tend to be a uh, let's focus on the positive kind <laughs> of thing, which is why I prefer comedies to dramas but
0: I think we'll I think we'll ultimately get to a positive point today. We just got to get through the heavier stuff first. I agree. Yeah.
1: It's, so we're talking about Jojo Rabbit. And what's interesting about this movie is when you watch it, there's a fantastic balance of comedic moments and the heavy topic of World War II Nazis and, and everything that comes with that. Um, but I feel like when you talk about it, it's hard to... Uh, you can't show the comedy through our discussion here. Yes. So as we talk about the film, it's going to sound heavier than the movie itself feels
0: right because that's the, my concern i think you're right the movie is like a master class in in tone and handling tone because it does go back and forth between lighthearted and heavy stuff but it does it with a plum so yes.
1: you wouldn't think that you could laugh about hitler yeah but it makes you laugh because it's laughing at hitler yes Because it's <laughs> laughing at hitler yes but yes as we talk about the themes i think it's going it gets into heavier yeah Heavier territory.
0: It definitely does. But yeah, we're talking about imagination in Jojo Rabbit today.
1: Which is another ironic thing because when I think of imagination, the things you tend to imagine personally or the things we encourage our children to imagine are like, oh, you're in a spaceship. Aren't you flying through outer space? Or like you imagine the most joyful things because that's what we all want to experience yeah uh, we want to have adventures and things and a lot of what he is imagining i feel like or, or i feel like when we talk about imagination in this podcast it almost goes the direct opposite like yeah you're not imagining the most hopeful scenarios
0: this is the dark side of imagination for Definitely. sure um i, I guess just as, to start so thematically i think Jojo Rabbit is important because it's simultaneously like a snapshot of a singular moment in time from the perspective of this singular kid. You know, it's, it can be very specific, but it's also a very timeless universal exploration of how we treat people based on what we imagine of them. And I oh, think absolutely. that's why it's, why it's so wonderful.
1: It's super relevant.
0: With that in mind, I wanted to start our chat today with an epigraph of sorts. Um, this comes from a philosopher named Jeff McMahon in his book, Ethics of Killing. He says, the powerful sense of collective identity within a nation is often achieved by contrasting an idealized conception of the national character with caricatures of other nations whose members are regarded as less important or worthy, or in many cases are dehumanized and despised as inferior or even odious. When nationalist solidarity is maintained in this way, the result is often brutality and atrocity on an enormous scale. So we we begin Judge a Rabbit by meeting this boy who has this powerful sense of national collective identity, right down to the Nazi propaganda covering his bedroom walls, and we learn that you know, right away his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler,
1: which is just so funny because you're like, um, who picks Hitler as their imaginary BFF? Yeah, but I think that's interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, some we come to find out later but some you see right up front like he is very much in you know a member of the Hitler's youth and he is all about you know how hitlering everybody as he runs down the street like a happy little boy but like instead of saying hi how are you it's like how hitler yeah. the whole way and so you get this immediately immediate sense that he is a big fan yeah. big fan of this guy which they play up at the beginning of the movie in a wonderful well, uh, not wonderful as in good, but as in like a very descriptive way Yeah. where you see old footage of like crowds who were like screaming and cheering when they saw Hitler get off a plane. And there's this idea that he was a national hero, icon, superstar to a lot of the people. But I think one of the things that's also really relevant is that his father, so Jojo's father has been gone from home, off in the war, so Jojo believes, for the past two years. Now when you're, let's see, how old is Jojo? He's only nine. Yeah, he's only nine. And so from, you know, the ages of seven to nine, I don't know, how much do you remember from before nine? Like, I would remember my parents, but if they had been gone since you were seven, like, how much would you actually remember? Anyways, I think he's filling that missing father role with the father of their nation.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of... Uh, reasons why he would pick Hitler as his imaginary friend because yeah. he's built up like an icon and because he's missing his own father in his life. And so he definitely picks him as the best of imaginary friends that you could possibly have.
0: Well, and it t- to go along with that, this movie shows the danger of having so many of the people around you, especially the adults that you look up to, following evil ideals. When you're surrounded by that, That's what you grow up in. That's your environment. You're on the road to becoming that. And he has some people in his life, like his mom, that's subtly fighting against that. But overall, you know, he goes to this camp um, at at the beginning, this youth Nazi youth camp, and he's surrounded by adults and children who all believe this evil thing. And so he's yeah, he's enmeshed in this in this culture of of hatred. And, and to go along with that, like so much of childhood in general is just imagining what it is to be an adult. And Jojo is imagining himself as these Nazi adults because that's all he really has in his life. His dad's gone, like you said, um, and he has Adolf to look up to and and then all the people that are running this camp as well.
1: We see the end of the war in this film. So the majority of his, maybe not the majority, but a fair few years of his life have been raised in Nazi Germany. And that would definitely lend itself to wanting to be like the Nazi leaders because they're the ones in charge and in power. And anybody who has gone against them has been silenced, so you're not going to want to be like one of those people. And the few people who are fighting against him, like his mom, have to do it so subtly that even her own child is unaware that she's been fighting it, that she's part of the rebellion, until it gets closer to the end of the war, and she can tell that the end of the war is coming, and so she's getting a little more and more open with him. About not even what she's been doing, but just that some of her ideas are like, well, don't hang your hat on everything that the Nazis say because it might not be true or because it is leading our country astray. But yeah, when your entire community sees things one way and you're not given any opposition of thought in your life. Then you do not get a well-rounded worldview.
0: Speaking of this lack of well-rounded worldview, so at the camp, we get the first everything we've said has sort of set the stage. He's at this Nazi youth camp and immediately inundated with these ideas that um that the Jews are less than human. Um, like you said, there's no opposition to this thought. It's all the adults in their lives in the these kids' lives are telling them that the Jews are less than human. We even get uh, I can't remember her name, but Rebel Wilson's character drawing the demon, basically, on a on a chalkboard at the youth camp, right? Um,
1: yeah, they describe him as, like, serpents with tongues and scales.
0: Yeah, this mythical, hideous creature. Yeah. Yes. It's they, terrible.
1: Jews have horns. Like, yeah. there's all these uh, terrible ways that they imagine Jews or Jewish people to be.
0: As less than human. This um, There's this... Amazing book. And I think you and I both accidentally started reading the same book in preparation (laughs) for this episode. The same,
1: well, article on the book.
0: Well, I was reading the the book, but...
1: (laughs) I read an NPR article. It was an NPR article about the book, Less Than Human, by the author, David Livingstone Smith. And it had excerpts from the book. Yeah. So...
0: So I'd started reading it. So I
1: suppose I was reading excerpts from the book. Yeah, you were reading it too. All right. I I haven't
0: finished (laughs) it or anything, but toward the beginning... Smith, he says, he's talking about dehumanization and how cultures will imagine the other and in doing so will other them. And he says, the Nazis were explicit about the status of their victims. They were Untermenschen, subhumans and as such were excluded from the system of moral rights and obligations that bind humankind together. It's wrong to kill a person, but permissible to exterminate a rat. To the Nazis, all the Jews, gypsies, and others were rats, dangerous disease carrying rats. And, and so the book talks about how, how throughout history humans have dehumanized their enemies or their perceived enemies to like recuse themselves from the violence that they're perpetrating. And it happened regardless of, I mean, here we're talking about the Nazis, but it, it's a, it's a universal, sadly, it's a universal human thing. Um, the book also mentions how, you know, just as the Nazis dehumanized, dehumanized Jews, the Allies dehumanize the Japanese, and so it's uh it's cyclical and it's sad and gross. But that's the that's the world and the worldview that Jojo is forced to imagine, because again, he has no opposition to that imaz- imagination yet.
1: Yeah, you have to. You use the word recuse like as in, oh, I'm not a bad person for doing this because they're rats. Right. But I think it has to go the other way. Like you have to think of them as rats and then it's not a problem if that makes sense I like don't i don't understand what you're saying i don't feel like they have like they're trying to make themselves feel better about what they're doing uh, i think they're so blinded to the humanity of the jewish people that they don't even question what they're doing if that makes sense
0: i guess uh, i guess what i'm, I'm saying, just saying is like, that where it starts it's going to start from that place generally But at this point, I mean, Jojo, he's not trying to excuse himself. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Just that, yes, they're so inundated at this point with this thought.
0: Of them as subhuman.
1: And with them as, yeah, as less than, as other, that they, as, you know, like they say at the camp as serpents with scales and horns, that they're not even worth your pity, your thoughts, your time, nothing.
0: And throughout we see how it's affecting Jojo because obviously like I mentioned at the beginning he's got Nazi Nazi propaganda on his walls his imaginary friend is Adolf but even in the when he's in the tent in the camp he's like fantasizing about being best friends with the real fuhrer and um, fantasizing about committing violence against Jews and his imagination is already like on overdrive which he's a kid it's not you know it's not his fault but that's the again the worldview he's growing up in
1: yes all kids imagine things. So, what are you feeding their imagination with? Because if that's what you're surrounded with, then of course you're gonna go on imagining those things. And he talks about how, yeah, he'll be the the best, the best, you know, friend of of Adolf Hitler, which is yeah. what his imaginary friend is. He's already well on his way to be there, and you can see what a dangerous path that is that he's on. I mean, on the one hand, you can be like, well, he's just he's only nine it's fine he'll outgrow it but if you continue to feed his imagination that way then that's a really dangerous human you're creating
0: what other i'm curious because you mentioned how maybe adolf represents his um him missing his dad and represents his desire to literally be best friends with the Fuhrer. what other things might imaginary adolf represent for jojo
1: i think also his ideal his idea of patriotism like or like Mm. nationalism like he has been sold the idea that Germany is the best, the number one, and everybody wishes that it could be like us. He mentions more than once throughout the movie that he is of Aryan ancestry, that he is pure, and that idea would also feed into his um, wanting to live up to this Hitler's standard um, and have Hitler as your best friend. Because if Hitler accepts you as your number one best friend of Hitler, then you've made it. Right, like you are obviously Aryan ancestry, ultimately pure German, like, no question about it. So, I think his need to be accepted as well also plays into his wanting Hitler to be his best friend and his imaginary Hitler because he doesn't fit in with all the other kids as much. They've started making comments about his dad being gone and Jojo's like, well, he's off in the war. And they're like, that's what I not what I heard. I heard he deserted or I heard this or I heard that. So he already feels, and he's, you know, he's so young and he's scrawny and he's not going to be the best warrior yet or uh, the best soldier yet. But his desire to fit in and be like all of the other teenage boys that he looks up to would also feed into his desire to have Hitler's acceptance as his best friend.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also think there's some primal desires in there of just wanting to be more confident and more brave. I think those go hand in hand with what he pictures as like the perfect Nazi. Um, because that, so after the incident with the rabbit where he is unable to kill the rabbit because he feels bad for it and he's talking with imaginary Adolf, Adolf's like encouraging him to be, you know, be more confident and brave and, um, spurs him to go and just steal a grenade right and it's like to him that's the ultimate bravery even though it almost gets him killed because it explodes and he gets extremely injured
1: which again when you talk about it sounds horrific but the way they show it in the movie is like comical like he just gets blasted back and then you like Just see him on like a gurney to the hospital and everybody's pulling faces as they look at him like, man, this is bad. Like they play this horrific thing up as such a comedic moment.
0: Yeah. There's another passage from that book, Less Than Human, that I feel like is super fitting here. It says that in talking about dehumanization, that it's a way of thinking, a way of thinking that sadly comes all too easily to to us. Dehumanization is a scourge and has has been so for millennia. It acts as a psychological lubricant, dissolving our inhibitions and inflaming our destructive passions. As such, it empowers us to perform acts that would, under other circumstances, be unthinkable. Which is exactly what imaginary Adolf is as a representation of this dehumanization is encouraging Jojo to do these things that under normal circumstances would be unthinkable, like grabbing a grenade and just hucking it through the woods, right? Amidst that Adolf hears that that psychological lubricant.
1: It's a very good point. That leads into the quote that I have from that same book, um, the one that I really uh, appreciated. was a saying that it's really tempting. Because like you were talking about, it's like this is what the Nazis did. They dehumanized the people. And it says, quote, it's tempting to imagine that the Germans were or are a uniquely cruel and bloodthirsty people. But these diagnoses are dangerously wrong. What's most disturbing about the Nazi phenomenon is not that they that the Nazis are were madmen or monsters, it's that they were very ordinary human beings. I think that struck me the hardest because I, like we mentioned, this isn't just an, a Nazi problem. This is a, throughout history, anytime anyone has conquered another people or turned other people into slaves or and the names that we call people, those ways of dehumanizing them as making them less than are what lead to these terrible acts that jojo is living his whole life seeing
0: so jojo has all these ideas in his head about what jews are um they're monsters in his mind and he's imagining that and imagining violence against them and then he
1: and about what germans are too what do you mean like you have to he not only is imagining what a jew is Mm -hmm. the absolute worst oh yeah yeah and then he's imagining what a german is the absolute best
0: right because adolf is his imaginary friend um but he comes at this point or soon after the camp he comes face to face with the real the real jew
1: yeah his first encounter with a real jew
0: you know this film is told through jojo's eyes sometimes even literally like after he gets in the accident um him him going through the hospital is a first person point of view shot and this is his movie it's told through his eyes and so i think it's fitting that when he first encounters the girl in the you know, in the in the walls in the upstairs, that it's told like a horror film because to him he's imagined Jews as as monstrous creatures. So of course the first time that he meets one, he's gonna imagine a scary thing. It's it's told like a horror film. It's not just like a unique way of telling the story. It's totally in keeping and, and fits his character as someone who imagines things, um, that she would be perceived as a monster.
1: Yeah, I like that thought. I had a similar line is that at first he just hears the noises upstairs and he kind of assumes well maybe it's a ghost or something. Uh, What's especially fitting with his imagining that it might be a ghost upstairs is that this room that, so her name is Elsa, and she's living in like, the there's like a little wall attic space um, off to the side of the room, but the room that that space is in is his sister's room. And we never really hear how she died, but just we know that she, we eventually find out that she's gone. So this room that has been preserved and looks just like Inga's, you know, could come home at any minute and live there is the kind of room that would obviously be filled with a ghost, the ghost of Inga uh, or the ghost of Elsa. And in fact, Elsa makes that uh, comment later. She says, perhaps we're all ghosts now and we just don't know it because they're all living a shadow of the life and the possibility of what they could be living what they imagine they could be living in a different situation
0: well and even before that when they first meet she pretends she like plays into his imagination like he says are you a ghost and she's just agrees with him that yeah i'm a ghost um later she's like mentioning how you know how much we like the taste of blood like she plays into all these insane stereotypes that have been imagined in his head
1: which why do you think she does
0: i don't know i i I feel like
1: because I have a couple theories.
0: I feel like it's hard for me to want to know if I I don't know. I think that one is it's part of her sense of humor. She's just a funny character, and so I think she plays into that. I also think that maybe she's feeling a little bit hopeless, and that so she just kind of lets it happen sometimes. I don't know because like with the humor thing, um, at one point she she's like, "Well, you should know about us. What you should know about us is that we." that the Jews were allergic to food. So don't bring us any food or we'll die. With the thought that he will bring her food and then she won't be hungry anymore, right? right. Um, so she's kind of using it to her advantage with a little bit of a sense of humor. But I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Why she plays into his imagination?
1: I think f- at first, she wants to keep the upper hand. If he exposes her, then she's, she's dead, that's it, she's gone. And so is his mom, and so is probably Jojo. Gets incriminated as well, so I think she plays it up because if she can keep the upper hand and have him afraid of her, then he potentially won't turn her in. The other idea I had is that she sees what a uh, what would you what would you call a, a fanatic? Even his own mom calls him a fanatic. So she sees what a fanatic he is, and is to the point where she's like, "Well, nothing I say is going to change your opinion." I mean. In today's political climate, I've had lots of conversations with people where I'm like, well, there's no point in arguing with you because no matter what I say, it will not change your opinion. It is solidly formed. So I think those are a couple of reasons why I think she plays into his Jewish stereotypes that he keeps laying out.
0: So after this first encounter, uh, his imagination, Jojo's imagination continues because he has a conversation with imaginary Adolf. And they're both talking back and forth about how, oh, she must have used her mind powers on me. So we get like hints throughout the movie of just random ideas that he's had put into his head um, or that he's imagined himself.
1: That same conversation where, because Jojo's a kid and so he looks to his imaginary Hitler as the one with all the answers. But Hitler says, why do you expect me to know? Which I think is just so fitting because, first of all, he is Jojo. Jojo, (laughs) But then also, I think it's a subtle uh, knock at the real Hitler. Like, why do we expect him to know or him to have all the answers? Mm -hmm. But then I also just, side note, I love his little offhanded. um, Hitler says, yeah, I've got to go. We're having unicorn for dinner tonight. (laughs) And it's just such a little kid moment in such a big kid conversation that they were just having is that like the fanciest dinner that you could imagine unicorn unicorn (laughs) maybe i don't know
0: well in that same encounter he um it's almost like a throwaway comment kind of like the unicorn thing but that he well you know everyone knows hitler has bomb proof legs which jojo himself would be wishing for because he just got his leg blasted Mm -hmm. he wishes for himself he fantasizes for himself that he would have bomb proof legs I also think it also goes back to that like I mentioned that imaginary Adolf represents some like primal feelings too because imaginary Adolf always reacts with uh, with more anger than Jojo does. So like he's getting really angry when they're talking about Elsa in a way that Jojo kind of tries but he's not super he's great at expressing scared. it. Yeah.
1: He's like a little kid and I think that goes back to his idealization of what a good Nazi is is that if he were, you know, a, a real Nazi, he'd be able to feel that same anger toward the toward this Jewish girl instead of feeling fear toward her.
0: Well, I think this is a good a good argument for why representation is important. Um, this whole movie is because up to this point, Jojo's worldview has been very singularly focused on what everyone around him is teaching, and like we mentioned, they're all teaching the same thing. There's no um, opposition of thought, and so his worldview has gone along. All these years, fairly unencumbered, until he finally meets face-to-face a real Jewish girl, not the imaginary. And so he's kind of, he's having to reconcile that. Yes,
1: he has to reevaluate what he's been taught and what he's seeing right in front of him. This is later, but I really love, there's a scene where Jojo and Elsa are sitting across from each other. And they're listing famous Germans versus famous Jewish people. And a lot of them were jewish germans but um as they're listing back and forth and elsa's listing all kinds of i think it was like you know brahm beethoven bach like you know they're listing composers and artists and and writers and he she even says houdini and he's like shocked like (laughs) not houdini he couldn't be jewish um but i feel like that scene for joe or that you know interaction for jojo has the opposite effect of jojo's education on jews whereas instead of dehumanizing them it highlights them as individuals of talent and worth people to aspire to be like
0: agreed and yet jojo's not quite ready to completely shift his worldview yet he kind of reacts um to the extreme in some ways like he he starts talking to captain k sam rockwell's character and all the Nazis that are around him about Jews and they all have these theories and they're planting new theories in his head and you know they tell him he should write a book about the truth truth in quotes about about Jews and so then he starts compiling this book of what he's imagining Jews are like which of course is a lot more monstrous creatures and just insane theories
1: right and he's trying to enlist uh, Elsa to help him with this book because obviously she would know she's Jew. And I love when she says, he tells her to draw a picture of where the Jews live, which is such a little kid idea. Like, obviously, all the Jewish people are hiding in one of the exact same spots. Like, and so draw me a picture of where all the Jews live. And then she draws a picture, a very unflattering picture of JoJo. And he says, you know, this is just a dumb picture of my head. And she says, yeah, that's where we live which is such a good line, to point out the way that he has been imagining the Jewish people to be is super unrealistic and just fictional.
0: It shows Elsa's wisdom that she realizes how much imagination, this dark side of imagination has played in the heads of Germans, especially these young impressionable ones.
1: It does. It definitely shows some maturity on her part to be able to understand um, how they're viewing her, because I feel like a younger child would be just completely taken back. Like, why? Why do they hate us? This doesn't make any sense. But she can see that it's these dehumanizing beliefs that they've been taught and played into. I mean, she was friends with Jojo's sister, with Inga, so she knows that there are kind Jewish people and she knows that there are plenty who have been... Uh, brainwashed to believe these things, and they can come from the exact same household.
0: And it is really scary how far down the rabbit hole—not, you know, no pun intended—that Jojo is when um, he's asking about Jews, and Elsa says we're like you, but human, and he says be serious. So he's—he's—he does not picture them as human. You know, he gradually starts to, but I think there's this in that same book, *Less Than Human*. There's another few sentences that i think are fitting Um, smith's talking about how when people are dehumanized it strips them of the idea of humanity you know in the eyes of the oppressors and he says um, in their eyes what was left was a creature that seemed human had a human looking form walked on two legs spoke human language and acted in more or less human ways but which was nonetheless not human dehumanization is the belief that some beings only appear human but beneath the surface where it really counts, they aren't human at all, which is what JoJo's coming to terms with.
1: Yes. Anytime people are faced with the other or create an us versus them mentality, it's dangerous.
0: Can we shift for a second and talk about Elsa's use of imagination? Sure. And we'll we'll come back to Jojo as he's continuing to learn and grow. But I think it's interesting that to contrast JoJo's version of imagination with Elsa's. Because with Elsa we as the audience don't know it yet, but she's still imagining Nathan. Even though Nathan's passed away, he died in the war, um, who's her, her former fiancé. Um, in-
1: yes, she has big plans. She and Nathan were going to meet up in Paris and live happily ever after. And Nathan was fighting for the resistance and, and Jojo starts to write these pretend letters from Nathan and she doesn't discourage him because she needs any piece of hope she can get.
0: Right, to her imagination i think is a distraction whereas with jojo it's um he's trying to grow up for her it's a distraction but she does she um, also
1: along the same line she asks sorry not to interrupt go Adrian, ahead and say um she they show a conversation between her and uh rosie jojo's mom where she says well rosie says you know i didn't get to see my daughter grow up into a woman so i'll just have to see you grow up into a woman instead feeding her those little bits of hope that she will have a future after this war, and the idea. Uh, or then Elsa asks Rosie, w- "What does it mean to be a human? You know, I don't even know what it means." And so she likes hearing Rosie's romanticized version of what it means to be a uh, to be a woman. Did I say to be a human? <laughs> I meant to be a woman. i'm
0: um, Right. Yeah. I I think that's a fascinating contrast where Elsa is imagining herself as a woman, but it's all real possibilities. It's all in the future. Whereas Jojo, he's imagining himself and what it means to be a man. But to him, without any good role model, it's just being murderous. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting but also terrifying contrast.
1: Is that all you had to say on Elsa? Because... Yeah. Okay. Because I wanted to move on to Rosie's imagination. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I think we can clearly see that Jojo gets a lot of his imagination from his mother. Um, she plays it up in a lot of ways. She's a, she calls him field sergeant as he leaves the, the house and he says, is it dangerous out there? And she says, extremely. Um, which is a, a playful way of pretending that it's not actually dangerous when it is.
0: Right, there's some reverse psychology going mm-hmm. on there, yeah.
1: <laughs> but what I think is really interesting about Rosie is that she has to imagine a lot around Jojo. I think... We're seeing her toward the end of the war where she's starting to be more open with him. But how much can you tell your five, six, seven-year-old child about what you're actually doing that they won't accidentally blab to a friend and get your whole family killed? So I feel like if you're working in the resistance and you had small children, could you really share with them? Or do you have to pretend that you believe what everyone else is believing, even when you don't?
0: Right. She's fascinating because she also is letting JoJo imagine pretty much whatever he wants she lets him she lets his imagination run wild like her her yeah her motivations are so interesting cuz she lets jojo imagine that her dad that his dad is fighting in the war but as a nazi she doesn't tell him the truth she lets him imagine whatever he wants to about the dad she lets him put up the nazi propaganda in his bedroom she's not putting like any overt ideas of resistance into his head it's all if at all it's it's very subtle and it's all to protect him, which is super heroic, but also really sad. And you have to imagine there's a lot of fear in her, like, how far do I let him go down this road of hate and Nazism before I step in and haste, say, hey, stop imagining Jews as this, or stop putting these posters on your wall, because it's a it's a scary path.
1: I know. When you think about it from a parent's perspective, it's like, well, we try to teach our children all kinds of positive things. And you'd like to think, well, I'd be telling them to stand up for what's right. But in their society, in that current climate, they would have died. That's not like an easy thing to be like, well, they should have stood up for what's right. Like it had to be very secretive on her part and even more so with how she presents it to Jojo because um, as a child, like I was saying, you know, they would say something offhanded to their friend who would say something to their parents and then all of a sudden you have the, um, oh, what's the name of the... The police force.
0: The, the, stop, the Gestapo? Yeah, the, the, the secret police?
1: Yeah, the Gestapo. Yeah,
0: I wonder, I wonder if she has enough hope that the war will be over soon that she can undo all of his imaginings.
1: You can retrain everything then?
0: That, yeah, I wonder if that's what's giving... You know, if, if she has enough hope that the war is going to be over soon. Because otherwise, that yeah, as a parent, that's a really scary place for her to be in. I, I, it also this- brings
1: up an interesting point as a parent because we can teach our children whatever we want... They'll eventually grow up and go out into the world and disagree with a lot of what we've taught them or a lot of what we believe. I mean, we see that in, like, how we see things differently from our own parents. And, you know, our parents see things differently than their parents before them. And so it's just really interesting to see this play out at an even younger age where JoJo disagrees so much with everything that his mom believes
0: i found this interesting point by um a man named alphonse heck who grew up in nazism Mm. and he writes about that experience and he said we who were born into nazism never had a chance unless our parents were brave enough to resist the tide and transmit their opposition to their children there were few of those yeah i thought that applied pretty well to rosie although i mean i think she is brave but she has to She has to let him imagine what he wants because, again, it's keeping him safe.
1: Mm -hmm. Self-preservation, which is another very human quality. Protect ourselves and our children at all costs. And Sometimes that cost is too high.
0: So with Jojo, his mom's planting some maybe little subtle seeds of resistance in him, and he's starting to kind of sort of maybe be friends with Elsa. It's really interesting to watch what happens to imaginary Adolf, in moments of love, if you'll notice, Imaginary Adolf is forced to leave.
1: Yes, he's never there when Rosie is there.
0: Yeah, um, and even almost always with Elsa, he's mm-hmm. not there either. As they're becoming friends, yes, he's he gone. might
1: talk to Adolf after he's been with Elsa and he's feeling that guilt. It also, uh, I think, Imaginary Adolf also represents his guilt mm. when he feels guilty for starting to befriend this jewish girl then that's when adolf appears to like set him straight and to say no she's an animal you you know you couldn't possibly be any worth in her
0: yeah yeah i like that that their their burgeoning friendship is what's keeping adolf at bay he's kind of like relegated to the bedroom Mm -hmm. or even with his mom with um, jojo's mom you see adolf from afar he has to look through binoculars like he's forced to be across the river he can't be close because Rosie has love. Mm-hmm. And also, as he becomes more friendly with Elsa, you'll notice that A- imaginary Adolf becomes more and more angry. Um, like, and not fun, silly JoJo type anger, but like deep seated,
1: like wounded animal Yeah, anger.
0: Um, he starts to yell, um, which he didn't really do before, like at JoJo. He wouldn't yell at JoJo before, but now he's yelling at JoJo. It's less friend to friend relationship and it's becoming more tyrant to prisoner tyrant to subject relationship it's more realistic
1: to what actual hitler is doing yeah. to the people yes
0: and adolf's even mean to him like he calls him ugly um so yeah these the the rose-colored glasses that have colored jojo's vision of, A- of adolf are starting to crack i think another way of putting it is that humanization and dehumanization are, na- are now at odds with jojo becoming friends with elsa and imaginary adolf um reacting against that with that hate filled anger. He's gonna he's gonna try harder and harder the more that love enters JoJo's life.
1: But as we know, Casey, love conquers all, not hate. And more although of... love doesn't solve all problems because then his mom passes away. Well, I shouldn't say it so politely mm-hmm. when it was such a horrific death. But And I think that's another way in which he's starting to see he's starting to see the brutal side of his imaginary Hitler And he's starting to see the brutal side of Nazi Germany. If they can take his fun, loving mom and string her up, then he's starting to really question where his allegiance lies.
0: Well, and he's also starting to see the human side of the Jews. And not just with Elsa. Like when he talks to his friend Yorkie. And his friend Yorkie's like, I saw some Jews in the woods. They just seemed like normal people to me. Right, And that's starting to make a little more sense to Jojo because he's having that experience with Elsa so it's like more of his destructive imagination starts to heal and also when Elsa calls Jojo out she tells him you're not a Nazi you're just pretending
1: yes she specifically says playing right up into how he imagined things and that he wants to belong like his a lot of his like I mentioned earlier like his imagination of Adolf Hitler is like his ultimate desire to want to belong to all the other nazi youth nazi um nazis and she says you know you like dressing up and being part of a club like that's it um his desire to feel included is making him want to be a nazi more than he actually is a nazi
0: can we talk about captain k for a second
1: you want me to cry
0: not quite to that part (laughs) yet but we'll get there but um sam rockwell's character is really wonderful and
1: he might be my favorite character.
0: He's so, um, he's pretty wise. Like he knows, first of all, he knows that the Nazis are filling impressionable young minds with imaginary things. Um, he kind of plays into that theory. He's not exactly a good guy. Um, but he, he knows what the Nazis have been doing with this idea of Jews as creatures, as, as subhuman. Um, but he doesn't really, you get the sense he doesn't really believe it. Um, that he's kind of just going along, which isn't a good thing, but, Um, it it contrasts really well with with the secret police Stephen Merchant's character. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like you see the cracks in Captain K's devotion, and you kind of expect that if if he hadn't died at the end, spoiler alert, that once the war was over, he would have felt remorse for being a Nazi. Whereas I don't feel like Stephen Merchant's character probably would have felt remorse, the secret police guy.
1: When he walks into the um <laughs> into jojo's room and he's like now this is my idea of a well-decorated room with like hitler and nazi propaganda all over the walls
0: yeah and i think that the idea of imagination the theme of imagination is really interesting looking at captain k and contrasting him with Stephen merchant's character i can't remember his name but um because i don't want to keep calling him Stephen merchant <laughs> because he's a really <laughs> bad dude and Stephen merchant's just a funny man but <laughs> but um
1: right I don't know how much taller he is.
0: He's a very tall guy. But like yeah. he's so much
1: taller than anybody. But like the way he looks down on Sam Rockwell yeah. and there's like a foot <laughs> between them and it just gives a sense of like, well, you know who's in the authority position here. But despite that authority that he has, Stephen, or, um, Captain K protects Jojo and Elsa.
0: Right. And it's, like I mentioned, it's kind of, you get the feeling, it's never explicit, but you get the feeling that Sam Rockwell doesn't believe these crazy ideas about what Jews are, these insane imaginary things, that he's just kind of playing it with Jojo, letting Jojo be a kid.
1: It might be most explicit when he tells Jojo, as is toward the end, but he says, you know, I was sorry to hear about your mom. She was one of the good people, the real good people.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and then you have the secret policeman who totally believes the monster's propaganda they he finds jojo's book and he's like it's funny because it's true and it, it's um it's a really interesting opposite side of the coin of the idea that if you still have imagination that you haven't grown up and i think in other contexts that so many other stories talk about how that's a good thing that you should hold on to that childlike imagination and i think generally that can be true but here the secret policeman He's still imagining these insane things about Jews and he's not, he hasn't grown up. Whereas Sam Rockwell's character is a little more complex and he has grown up a little bit, especially by the end.
1: Although I feel like Sam Rockwell's character has his own imaginations, uh, uh, imaginative things too, like especially maybe he's giving into them more because he knows he's at his end, but where he's like, look, I'm going to create this fantastic outfit to go off into war Like, if this is going to be my last hurrah, I'm going to fulfill all my hopes and dreams and imaginations in this one uh, final battle here.
0: Right. And it is an act of imagination that saves Jojo's life from Captain K. It's an Mm -hmm. act of pretending. He pretends, he imagines that Jojo is a Jew and pushes him away so that the... Allies now will protect him, as opposed to thinking he's a little German Nazi fanatic, which he used to be and isn't anymore. But that act of imagination on the part of Captain K saves Jojo's life. That's
1: where I cry every time. (laughs) So at that point where we're talking about, like, we see Jojo... The war, when we see Jojo, like, he's been imagining joining this war for so long and fighting as a true Nazi soldier, Um, but now that the war is on his doorstep and it's not nearly as, you know, it's not at all as glorious or glamorous as he's been imagining it to be. Um, He sees the actual brutality and destruction that it causes, and he sees uh, or hears the the death of his, his mentor, Captain K. Captain K, who we imagine as one of the villains the entire time, um, one of the bad guys, is the one who saves innocent little Jojo. Might be my favorite redemptive moment of all time.
0: So soon after that, Jojo has a final confrontation with Adolf, imaginary Adolf, you know, being the the representation of misplaced imaginary hatred, and then he kicks him out the window, I think, I could be wrong, but I don't think that Jojo ever calls him Hitler until then at the end. I think he calls him Adolf up till that point. Mm. The familiar for, form of the name. Yeah. I think. I could be wrong. so That'd be
1: interesting. Um,
0: but I'm pretty sure he only calls him Adolf until the end. When, then he's when he, Hitler. Says, when he calls him Hitler. Because at that point, he's fully gone from being an imaginary friend to an imaginary enemy.
1: We all know that you call your enemies or even your rivals by their last name. Right. <laughs> even if it's just a sports team thing or <laughs> you always always them by their last name
0: because yeah at, at this point jojo has finally given up the hateful imagination that has filled his his life he's replaced what he imagined jews to be with what's real which is that they are human and they're real people with with dreams and goals and that love people and it's it's beautiful
1: I love the contrast. I think it's just before that scene where, let me go back. So at the very beginning of the movie, we see JoJo in front of the mirror and he's in full Hitler youth, swastika on the arm, you know, dressing up, as Elsa says. He's fully there and he's, you know, trying to like pump himself up to like be a good Nazi. And then at the very end, we see him again in front of the mirror and he's just in his normal little boy clothes. And he says, today, just do what you can, which is something that his mother would say. And so it's this idea, like you see this transition ended by those two moments in front of the mirror with how he imagines himself and what he imagines he can accomplish, not just that day, but with his life.
0: So then at the end, Jojo and Elsa, who is no longer his imaginary enemy, who is now his real friend, Jojo, he has one final fiction. He tells Elsa that Germany won the war. And he's imagining and pretending because he doesn't want to lose his friend.
1: Yes. Yeah. The, the question he's asking himself is, you know, can he get her to stay by pretending it's not safe for her outside and by saying that Germany won the war? And I think it's only a matter of minutes there where he is willing to live that lie. but. He has seen all the other lies around him crumble. And so he and he recognizes the pain and the hurt in Elsa. And if he no longer if he still viewed her as inhuman at that moment, that would not have mattered to him. Like her pain and sadness that Germany won the war would not have been his issue because he supported Germany. Um, but because he is no longer imagining what Jewish people are like, but knows one personally, he realizes that he cannot cause that pain to her and that he has to let her be free. And
0: then they walk out the door and Elsa She's, realizes. She slaps him. True. She, she Rightfully realizes it, so. slaps him for, <laughs> for his imaginings, his pretending. And then they dance and note that they dance to imaginary music. It's not coming from anywhere. Mm -hmm. and at this point the imaginary the imagination is a positive thing much like his mother used throughout the movie
1: she asked or he asked who asked somebody asked her what the first thing she would do when the war was over yeah and she said she would dance
0: yep which i love that because it's something again that's something rosie always did was dance as a dance as an act of resistance and and here dancing is an act of freedom with jojo rabbit it's it it shows that it's it's hard to accept a different worldview. Like when the imaginary comes to battle with reality, like Jojo, he has imagined his whole life Jews as evil creatures only, only to become friends with one. That's hard. Um, he's imagined Nazis as heroes only to have his imaginary friend turn into an imaginary enemy and the secret police invade his house and his real friends now in danger. That's all really hard. Even his his city the houses and streets have a fairy tale quality in the beginning. Uh, he finds his mother hanging in the streets and the eye like windows of sad houses looking down with the city's invasion coming soon after. That's really, really hard. Um, war comes and none of it is romantic, like you had mentioned. And it's all hard for JoJo, who I think is a hero because he allows his hateful worldview to crumble and he replaces it with love for, for his mom, for Elsa. He replaces hatred, which is an imaginary thing, with love, which is real. So for me, like I think Jojo Rabbit distills down to the ideas that one, you can't hate someone once you truly see them, and two, changing a destructive worldview is a truly heroic act.
1: I agree. I love the way that Jojo becomes his own hero, and he no longer needs an imaginary. Hero, um, because he can now stand up on his own two feet. He realizes it's like when he was filled with hatred, he needed an imaginary hero, but when he's filled with love, he is his own hero.
0: I love that. One final thought that I had about mm-hmm. the, as I was mentioning about Captain K and the secret police man, um, and how that interaction of imagination and adulthood. I don't think. I don't think the movie is saying that you have to give up your imagination to grow up. I just think that the movie is saying that growing up means recognizing when imagination is protective or creative in like the true sense of the word creative, like Jojo's mom's use of imagination um, when Elsa's pretending to be the sister to protect them. And also the end dance is a, a creative free act. So realizing that versus realizing when it's destructive. And I think that's what becoming an adult is and i think that's what jojo does to grow up
1: love it so many good messages in this movie i'm assuming if you've listened all the way through that you watched it first but maybe go watch it again
0: well should we close out the episode valerie sure we don't have any homework for next time other than watch star wars like no star wars but other than (laughs) that there's no specific homework for next our next episode
1: It's like when the teacher writes, no homework, up on the whiteboard, and Mm -hmm. you're like,
0: yes. (laughs) Exactly. So we have three new patrons this month, the month of January. exciting.
1: You guys are the best.
0: The best. We have Zachary, Annie, and Tanner. Welcome, peeps, beeple, as we like to call them in the Discord, the beeple. We love new beeple.
1: If you want to become a patron of Hello From Elsewhere, just go to patreon.com slash hello from elsewhere, and then you can join us for just $3. In the Discord, or maybe you want to pay seven dollars to become a swashbuckler of elsewhere, and then you get our bonus episodes every other Friday. Then you can have Hello from Elsewhere every Friday of your life.
0: Our boat always has room for more swashbucklers, so we'll please just, join us. We'll
1: just build a fleet. I'm cool with there that.
0: There you go. Leave a review for Hello from Elsewhere on iTunes or Apple Podcast. It really, really, really helps people find our find our podcast.
1: We recently got the nicest review.
0: Yeah. And we Super don't know nice. who it's from No, we don't know them personally. <laughs> That's always the surprising one. You're like, oh,
1: it's not a friend.
0: The first view it's like, oh, there's my cousin, you know, mm-hmm. but no, the latter ones have been people like I don't know who this is. It's wonderful.
1: <laughs> we feel extra special if you love us, even though we don't know you personally. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Elsewhere underscore pod. Our cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can find his graphics on Instagram at graphite.vmb.
0: Hello from Elsewhere is a proud member of WBNE, a podcast network focused on positive and engaging content. And WBNE has exciting news. Three new podcasts with all new hosts will be joining the network. In the coming weeks, we'll be teasing these shows, so stay tuned. In the meantime, here's a promo from veteran WBNE podcaster Mary Clay Watt, host of That's What I'm Talking About.
1: My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And on That's What I'm Talking About, I'm experiencing Lord of the Rings for the first time. I finished reading the books and now I'm on to the movies. Listen each week as I become more obsessed with Viggo Mortensen. That will bring us to this week's segment of Is Viggo Mortensen Actually a Ranger? (laughs) Viggo Mortensen kept his sword with him at all times, offset so that he could remain in character. He was questioned by the police several times, apparently, after reviewing his training sessions with the sword and being spotted by members of the public
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all
1: right and that concludes this week's segment of is viga mortensen <laughs> actually a ranger strider i fell in love with viga mortensen the way you fall asleep slowly and then all at once that's what i'm talking about every tuesday wherever you get podcasts
0: valerie you and i were on that's what i'm talking about together this month
1: so fun first time actually it's probably coming out about this time
0: i think it'll already be out
1: it'll already be out yeah okay. I know we recorded ahead of time.
0: Talking about Return of the King. A little half hour.
1: The best half hour of Return of the King.
0: Right. It was so fun. (laughs) I love talking about it. The most
1: climactic moments.
0: Well. We're
1: leaving Jojo's mind, his imagination.
0: It's it's such a good place to be these days.
1: I know, he's filled it with so much love. And I think that's it though, is he doesn't have to live in his imagination anymore because he's filling his actual life with love. True. So we'll just step out into the real world with him.
0: On that note, happy beeps.
1: Happy beeps.